Hi, welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where relationships are the mission and we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. My name is Dusty Wallace, Worship and Creative Arts Director here at Quest, and I just want to tell you, you picked a great message to listen to today. On November 1st, 2015, we began celebrating the launch of Quest's new Thrive Counseling and Coaching Center. Along with it, we began a new four-week series also titled Thrive with panel discussions from members of our pastoral and counseling teams. Each message and discussion reaches into real-life issues, encounters them with real-life counseling expertise, and God's good plan for each of us. For more information about Thrive Counseling and Coaching Center, visit thrivecounselingandcoaching.com. There you will find everything you need to know about our counselors, services, donation opportunities, and our sponsors, Main Street Dental New Albany and Dr. James T. Hutta, DDS. As always, you can find out more about Quest, who we are, what we do, and opportunities to give and serve at gotoquest.org. Now, let's dive into this week's message. All right. Well, we've been celebrate. We're ce- we continue to celebrate the uh, grand opening of uh, Thrive Counseling and Coaching, and all of this month, as we do that, we're in a series called Thrive, and uh, looking at uh, different things. Last week, we looked at the idea of how we sometimes look at our negative emotions, or we label them negative, and we avoid them, thinking we're unhealthy, and how really what God is doing is giving those emotions and some of those thoughts to us as warning signs, as guideposts, as gifts that we need to learn to pay attention to in order to find understanding so we can grow and be healthy. Uh, This week we're going to extend that idea. And we're going to say, talk a little bit today about what do we do when we actually pay attention to those things and press into them. And I think one of the main focal points that we need to look at is simply this. We need to look at the motivations that are behind those feelings and those thoughts, the beliefs, the values, the experiences, negative and positive that we've had, the things we've been taught about those things that form the energy of that motivation. And we need to understand those motivations. And in that process today, we're going to invite you to look at conflict differently. Oftentimes, when we have conflict or tension in our life, we blame people around us for those painful or angry or frustrating, especially reactions that we have. Uh, certainly, other people's uh, reactions have a place to, in, that, in that process of our feelings. But, but why is it that one, can, one person can have an experience and be driven by really negative, intense emotions, but another person can have that exact same experience and face it and be okay. It really comes down to how our motivations form our response to circumstances in our life. And they're formed by, our motivations are formed by many different things. They're, they're formed by the mantras of influential people, especially our parents in our life. And they're formed by messages that our culture sends around to us, our coaches, our teachers, and the values of people around us. They're, they're even formed through the media as well. We learn things through the media like the clip that you're going to see right now is something that many of you grew up watching, and the message, the motivation in it stuck with you even to this day. Go ahead and enjoy it. No, he's all right. He doesn't walk very good, does he? Thumper? 
Yes, Mama. What did your father tell you this morning? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. So this line from Bambi gets quoted like it's some kind of moral ideal, and we've internalized that, and it ends up making us uh, just silence or stuff our feelings and, and instead of dealing with things and having conversations and saying things that need to be said really affects things negatively. It seems like a noble message, but we're really just gagging ourselves and creating problems that come out sideways later. Here's another clip. Busy. It's worn like a badge. Coming in early, staying really late. When did leaving work on time become an act of courage? Sometimes it takes a fearless choice to wake people up. How many of you heard that message? I don't know about you, but my dad growing up said you always show up five minutes early and you're always the last one to leave and you're always the hardest worker. And and he he reinforced that not just by messages, but he told stories, especially about his farm stories, like the story where he fell out of the haymow onto a pitchfork on his side and he pulled the pitchfork out and finished working the day. You know, I mean, it's just what you do, and we learn that. And there's something good about that, right? There's, there's, there's something good about a good work ethic, but we take it so far that it becomes an act of courage to set healthy boundaries in our life, and it becomes difficult. Or here's another clip. Enjoy this one. She was great. Oh, thanks, Dad. Where's Max and Anna? doing out here we're fine just go back in you're gonna miss the end max come on let's go inside he can't go in what there are candles in the hallway he can't walk past them. oh hell that's ridiculous i mean all he's got to do is go by him he's gonna be fine max come on let's go inside Dad, it's not that simple it is that simple adam erased four kids Dad, there's on. something wrong with my son there's something wrong What do you mean? There's something wrong. And I'm going to need you to help me. That's a really powerful clip that really shows us how fear and anxiety is affecting our kids. 
Um, you know, in this clip, the grandpa sees the boy. He sees him as just being difficult and disobedient. And he's like, you know, this is ridiculous. Walk past the candles. You know, but the dad knows that it's something much more than that. It's not that simple. You know, and sometimes there is something wrong. And sometimes it's more complicated than just disobedience. So I'm going to share with you just for a few minutes about what anxiety can look like in our families and specifically our children. Um, it looks a lot different in kids than it does in adults. Anxiety in our kids looks like anger, perfectionism, outbursts, disobedience, defiance, need to control, stomach pain, unrealistic expectations for themselves and for others. And, you know, they really don't like when plans change. You know, this, when the schedule change and plans suddenly change, they have a really hard time coping and adjusting to that. And, you know, I think unintentionally, we've pushed our kids harder than ever before. And we've kind of created this culture that demands perfection. And we're, you know, expecting them to be the best in some area of their life, whether it's an instrument, a sport. Just they've got to be number one in some area of their life. And, you know, unfortunately, most of their day is dictated to them where they have to be, what time, what they have to do. Yeah, and I know we all truly want the best for our kids. And so, you know, we're giving them every opportunity possible. So we just can't understand why are they shutting down and, or exploding. But here's a simple example of how we get into this angry pattern with some of our kids that have anxiety. Now your kid is playing a game. It's bedtime. So you go in and say, okay, game's over. Go brush your teeth. Well, that should be simple enough, right? Now, they don't want to stop playing the game. And they are starting to panic because they are feeling they're about to lose control of the situation. So they say, no. Well, what does that do to you? Oh, that, the audacity in that child angers you. And so you push back, you know. I'm your parent. You're going to listen to me. Go brush your teeth now. That angers them. You know, now, before you know it, the situation's completely out of control. They are losing control. They're not able to cope with that, so they freeze, or they throw themselves on the floor, crying, screaming. And that makes you even angrier, you know? I mean, what you saw as disobedience was the child just losing control and not being able to cope. And it just, the situation gets completely out of control, and you are just left completely puzzled. How did this happen? I just asked you to brush your teeth. That was really simple. Um, but I think it's really easy to see how we get in those type of patterns with our anxious children. When I was in elementary school, I went to Columbus Public Schools for a few years. And then um, my parents moved me to Tree of Life, a small Christian school in the area. And I have two older brothers that did not switch. And I don't know how that decision was made. I don't know if my parents decided they could maybe afford to send one at a time. So they sat down and looked at their three kids and thought, oh, okay, Natalie, yep, she needs God the most. <laughs> Natalie's going to Tree of Life. Eventually, one of my brothers did join me. And Tree is a great school. They have great leaders and teachers. And looking back, I'm really thankful for my time there. Um, but Tree of Life was not ready for me at all. <laughs> there was a really sweet woman of God principal there named Mrs. Knowles. And uh, this poor woman, she called my parents so many times to tell them what I have done. And it was a joke in my house. My dad was convinced that I had a phone at my desk for as many times as the school was calling him. 
Um, but I remember exactly how I felt physically when Mrs. Knowles would call me in and sit me down and tell me what I did. There would be so much like sweat and instant headache right here. My hands were sweaty. My stomach was in knots. And it would stay that way until I got home and faced my parents and dealt with that. Well, when my oldest daughter was getting ready to go to kindergarten, we, you know, my husband and I started looking at all the schools in the area. And we went to Tree of Life. And Mrs. Knowles gave us a tour of the school. And she called us in her office and sat down and started to tell us about the school. And those feelings, those physical feelings in my hands and my forehead and my stomach, they came back. And I'm, you know, how can this be? I'm an adult. I mean, I'm the parent in this situation. Why am I feeling like this? I thought maybe my husband drove too fast into the parking lot for our meeting and Mrs. Knowles was going to call her parents. (laughs) My husband went to Tree of Life too, and I know his parents got a lot of phone calls too. (laughs) A lot. But those, you know, I tell you that story because those feelings that I was describing physically, some of our kids are feeling those feelings every day. We, as parents, we have clip charts and behavior apps, and we are being notified constantly how our kids are behaving. And I do realize that teachers need some type of behavior management in their classrooms, so please don't understand me. I know that's really important. And and to many kids, that system works just fine. Um, But for high-anxiety kids, it's a nightmare for the kids and the parents and the teachers, really. So this is how a clip chart works. Can you all see this on that side? Here. It's basically a rainbow. Okay? All right. So everybody has a clip with their name on it, and you start out on green, and you move up or down this chart based on your behavior. So, okay, you talked out of class, clip down. Okay? You were quiet in the hall, clip up. At the end of the day, your color is then recorded and sent home to your parents. And if you clipped down, there will be a description of what you did, and you have the parent then signs it and sends it back. I mean, do you know how stressful that is for the child to go home and have to answer to that every single day? And it's also, as a parent, it's stressful for me. I mean... I don't know if I want to be told every single time my kid talks out of turn or takes too long in the bathroom. So, you know, the parents are kind of making a bigger issue out of it. So now the parents are calling the teachers. Oh, why'd you clip my kid down? The parents are talking about it amongst each other. And I have, you know, two of my kids respond to this chart very differently. One of them, this works just fine. You know, it's enough motivation for her to sit quietly and she does what she's supposed to do. And not at school, at home, she does it at school. So that's, that's good. <laughs> I mean, she hardly ever clips down, maybe once a school year. But I have another child who's high anxiety and this system makes her a basket case. You know, when she sees this chart, she sees this as a measure of her self-worth. So when she is green or above, she thinks, okay, I was a good person today. When she clips down, she sees herself as bad, and she's ashamed. And, you know, I admit I've gotten caught up in this obsession that my child has to be good or perfect. And I've cared too much about this system and the teachers and what they think and what the parents think. Um, You know, and and last week I talked a little bit about letting it go. So that's where I am now. You know, you got to let it go. 
I know the world is not going to end because my daughter took too long in the bathroom and clipped down today. But can you imagine this type of system for adults? Can you imagine someone keeping score of every move and charting you accordingly? And then you go home and answer to your spouse or to God. Okay, God says, I saw you speeding today. Clip down. You were yelling at your kids when you were trying to get them ready for school. Clip down. Oh, you held the door open for that lady. Clip up. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine that. And I hope that that is not the way that you view God. Because our God is a loving father filled with compassion and love for you. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now God pours out his grace and his love on us. But there are feelings and situations that we have to let ourselves go through that are going to build our character and help make us to be who God called us to be. And there's also things that we have to allow our children to walk through. Because at times, you know, they're running away and they are avoiding any situation that could possibly cause them any anxiety or discomfort. And we as the parents want to protect them more than anything. So we're keeping them from feeling anxiety or situations that are going to upset them. But what happens is we're not allowing them to learn the coping skills that they need for life. So what can we do? Well, first, we need to teach our kids who God says they are. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are the light of the world, and your children are the light of the world. And even if they don't believe it, keep speaking it to them and praying it over them, no matter how little or how grown they are. We can teach them to trust God. Even though they can't control the world, they can control their feelings and reactions and how they see the world. And we can help them with their extreme beliefs and walk them through a rational thought pattern. So going back to the clip chart, you know, we can teach them the big picture and help them realize, I mean, my daughter's not a bad person on the day she clips down, and she's not a good person on the day she clips up. She is a child of God no matter what. And, you know, and we can help them realize we want them to make good decisions, but we expect a lot of mistakes along the way. But the most important thing we can do is constantly offer our kids back up to God, because they are his anyway, and just trust, you know, he wants to protect them even more than we do. Let me just take a moment. Uh, actually, I apologize. I forgot to introduce who's up here with me. Natalie uh, is with Thrive, and Melissa is an elder, and she's not specifically on the Thrive staff, but she has a professional counseling background, so we asked her to be with us today. And before I move further, let me also promote something that I think I want you to know about as well from Natalie's comments. Uh, we have a seminar coming up this Saturday that Natalie and Meredith, one of the other counselors who was up here last week from Thrive, uh, are leading. Uh, it's a video-based seminar that they're facilitating called Emotion Coaching. It's from 9 to noon this Saturday. If you have kids, no matter what 
what age they are. This is all about how you as a parent can grow in your ability to create emotionally intelligent kids. It's a fantastic curriculum. It'll be well worth the $15 and your time to do that. So if you can free that up, uh, I really recommend that. You can sign up at thrivecoachingandcounseling.com. That's thrivecoachingandcounseling.com. What we're talking about today is how God speaks directly to us uh, as well about this idea of motivations, about beliefs, about values, about our emotional reactions that shape the energy behind what motivates us. And there's a verse that uh, I think speaks to this really clearly that frankly is very troublesome to many. Uh, The context of it is Moses has gone up the mountain to talk with God and he comes down with these stone tablets called the Ten Commandments. And he's been up there 40 days. And he comes down and he finds Israel, uh, who have grown weary of him being gone for 40 days. They're in this middle of this uh, orgy, is what it is, uh, worshiping this golden calf that they've made. And, and Moses comes down from meeting with God and he gets so mad in a fit of rage, he throws these stones and shatters them everywhere. Can you imagine that moment? That's like the biggest oops in all of history, I think. I mean, God sends you down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, with the homework assignment of teaching all the people what these Ten Commandments are, and then you break them. That's like the worst losing of homework you can ever imagine in all of life. And uh, But then he goes back up the mountain, and he meets with God again, and the encounter goes like this. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there, with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Sorry about that bleed over. I used a different font and it didn't transfer to our machine here. But this whole last phrase that he punishes the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation, that's one of those ouches, right? That's one of those, I can't believe that's in the Bible. In fact, there's a lot of people who reject the Bible based upon this statement as one of their hallmarks that they talk about. But that's because they misunderstand it. That's because we choose to read this uh, statement, this last statement, as a sound bite rather than, li- uh, that, rather than reading it within the context in which it's said. And one of the best ways to understand the context of what something is said and what it means is to actually see how the person to whom it was said interprets it. And we see Moses shortly later in in Deuteronomy 24, we see Moses interpreting what it means, how God thinks about sin and personal accountability and judgment. And he says in uh, Deuteronomy 24, he says, Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. And Ezekiel later on in the Old Testament also reinforces this individual accountability and responsibility. And if we look at this Exodus 34 passage in that context and even in its immediate context, what it's saying to us is this. It's saying that God will not forgive unrepented of sin that we know about. If we know about it and don't repent, it will remain unforgiven. And... He will not, re- and the consequences of unrepented of sin, whether known or unknown, 
in our life will indeed reap sinful infection, reap consequences in the hearts and minds and the beliefs and the emotions of our children and our grandchildren for generations. That's the reason, like, when we're dedicating children last Sunday, one of the things I almost always say is, is the, the important thing as parents is not that we're perfect because we're never going to be perfect. The important thing is that we model this ability to repent, the ability to apologize to our children in a way that they also learn to do that well. And see, Moses reads this hard, troublesome statement. He responds in exactly that way. He responds as though it is from God an invitation to repentance and an invitation to tremendous blessing. It reads this way. He says, Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. See, God responds then to Moses' repentance and goes on in that chapter to give them tremendous promises. And the question for us in looking at our stuff and trying to understand the motivations behind it is, will we be intentional at pressing into these negative tension things in our life? Will we be intentional at trying to understand our motives behind it, those beliefs, those values, those experiences, those things we believe without even, well, without even challenging? Will we be intentional at looking at those things so that God... His Spirit can come in and reshape us, and we do not pass our junk on to the next generation. See, when we run into difficult or painful times in relationships, we tend to blame the situation or blame others. But God's inviting us to look honestly at our own motives, our own thoughts, our own beliefs, our own values, our own experiences that drive that energy for us in that moment, that negative energy, so that we don't pass those on to the next generation. See, we often, we often don't recognize these motivations in our life. We don't recognize the values we picked up and the beliefs and, the, and, and we don't recognize the power of some of the experiences we've had to drive us positively and negatively in today's moment until we get through life a little while and we start to realize life is a little dull. It's a little gray. It's not measuring up to what we really hoped and dreamed it would be. When we get a little bit older, we tend to face it a little bit more. Sometimes we face it in our 20s. Sometimes we don't face it till midlife. And until we start to realize what's driving me is not getting me in life to where I want to go. And then we start dealing with the stuff and we struggle with it. So we started today illustrating this message by some of the clips that you watched and how we've internalized those things. Like if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Or do whatever you want, just as long as you're working hard, you're working, you're to just suck it up, walk through that hallway. You know, grandpa is saying, come on, just make him do it. And in that instance, the grandpa and the dad, they did make an adjustment. But a lot of times that hasn't happened for us. We haven't had adjustments made for us. And we end up feeling ashamed because we can't do something. We're afraid of something. Or that arrive early, stay late, work harder. Uh, that leads to success and a happy life until we get a little further down the road and we realize, oh, there's something wrong here. Our marriage, our family, our relationships, our friendships, just not what we want. And we're coming up short. We're not experiencing the kind of contentment that we're looking for. Uh, even if some of those things are in order, it's, 
there's just something not quite right. We're just so stressed, so tired, so mechanical about life, and we're wishing that we could have more. Then for some of us, that there are the strengths that we had as children, and they weren't acceptable or valued in your family or your school or even your church, and you lost part of yourself. So maybe that part of you was really outgoing and outspoken, and um, people ended up laughing at you, and you see, put that part of yourself away. You became this reserved or self-contained person. And that beautiful part of yourself that got put away is um, really missing in life. And people are missing out on that. Or maybe your family didn't do the softer side of emotions. You know, you put away the soft stuff and you learn to be tough and ignore emotions. Now your friends or your spouse want more connection with you and you don't know how to do that. You've had a hard time giving it and there's something really frozen inside of you. As you get into new relations, maybe new relationships at work or getting married, um, those things that are unwritten and sometimes kind of unconscious rules that we live by, they get exposed and people point out something and say, why did you react like that? Or, you know, what's going on with you? And you don't really know why, or maybe you you don't know why your reaction is so out of proportion to the situation. It's kind of overblown. Then you run into this almost unconscious drive and it kind of pops up unexpectedly in maybe a situation of anger or just plain goofiness or you get really talkative or you just wonder, what in the world got into me? I don't understand why I was acting that way. There's this unconscious, not really seen motivation that you can't really explain. It's kind of like this shadow following you around. And you've learned, good or bad, that you hide parts of yourself that we put our parts of ourselves away in the shadow. And we intuitively respond to early experiences of those reward systems or discipline or disapproval that we've received over the years as children and adults. And we put those aspects of ourselves away so well that we don't even really remember that they're there, that they're part of us. So we've learned uh, that if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all, and you stuff these feelings, thoughts, and conflict avoidance and we don't have these difficult conversations we need to have leaves us in this unhealthy stuck place that just feels not fully alive some of us stuff those things and um, we've avoided saying some things that are really wise some things that are really true and good and they're hidden away so we try to tame or shame ourselves into this compliance with these types of motivations for instance i learned to really override anger in my life um, that was just not okay. I judged it as bad and it's never going to come out well. And so I didn't want to pay attention to it. But then the more I stuff it, guess what happens? The more it gets cranked up inside of me, bottled up, and then it comes out sideways. And then I blow up or I feel depressed or I'm uh, acting out in ways that just aren't like me. And I think, where did that come from? What's going on with me? Not to mention the people around me are thinking that, Right. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 when he says, I do what I don't want to do. Who can help me? So part of being an adult who's growing and healthy, that's what we're trying to do around here, right, is allowing the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us because we can't handle this by ourselves. We need uh, his reinforcement and we can face the difficult things, our thoughts and our situations and our feelings 
and he brings the light to these things and he reworks these things for us the messages the values our experiences and helps us to reinterpret them some of the things that we've put away are our greatest gifts it's not just these negative things it's the gold that god put in us how he designed us how he wired us specifically sometimes those things have just been rejected or uh, judged as too much too inconvenient too showy too unconventional or just too beneath us for instance a young man in college uh, really felt like God was calling him to be in the ministry and he was from a family that was very wealthy and successful and prominent in the Minneapolis and Chicago social circles and the message that he received from day one of his life was you are going to be better smarter and wealthier than everyone else and because he was really good in math and science he was told he, you're gonna have to be a doctor you know that just makes sense and it was really a, a tough situation for him you know his family were strong in their faith and they had uh, he, he was at a Christian college so he has these competing things going on within himself but the, the really the message was you're not going to be this poor preacher you're going to be the one who is going to be giving the donations you're going to be on these prestigious boards and of these organizations and you're going to be helping the world in that way so that created this huge dissonance in, in his life and for many years it really forced him to stuff parts of who God made him, him to be and he took a long time to let that gold get unburied and let that treasure be mined and not just uh, discovered and owned but accepted by him sometimes our reactions are blind spots uh, we get angry about a trait we see in other people because we don't recognize that trait in ourselves um, sometimes I label people as lazy because I don't know how to rest or maybe I complain that someone's a coward because I'm not recognizing my own impotence and making a tough decision or a change or I find myself criticizing someone for being critical mm -hmm. right Jesus teaches us to be extra thoughtful about looking inward before we start looking outward at other people. And in Matthew 7, 3, 5, he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what Jesus is getting at here is it, instead of looking at our other people's behaviors or, or look at, instead of looking at our behaviors, we're willing to look at the, and focus on that aspect in someone else. It's so much easier to project our anger or fear or an offense onto our enemies or competitors, family members or anybody, complete strangers. It's easier to understand that in them than it is to understand it in ourselves. Our emotions are really being provoked out of our own issues, not necessarily the actions of other people. If not, then, you know, why is it that some people get angry or frustrated when something doesn't go their way, but other people are looking at the same situation with peace and joy? Carl Jung said, One is always inclined to lay the blame on external circumstances, but nothing could explode in us if it had not been there. Sometimes we judge or envy other people for their strengths not just the weaknesses that we see but we're 
looking at these strengths that and maybe it's because we've disowned them in ourselves we think someone is too pushy because we really um, want to be more assertive ourselves somewhere along the line we got the message that it's arrogant to disagree or selfish to ask for what we want it's not just these negative things that we've refused but we're also refusing to live out of our own noble powerful gifts that god's given us we've internalized messages that we've heard or, or had modeled for us or maybe significant successes as a young person have been greeted with this admonition now don't get a big head how many of you heard that one you know internally that gets translated into who do you think you are or you're nothing special so as a result we don't believe in ourselves and we underplay our intelligence or our creativity our talents and so we don't stand out as we take time to do this kind of internal work of understanding and making sense of our motivations and energies within us the healthier we can become we've got to have god in that equation though because god can take those negative family patterns those the cultural things that we get instilled in us and he can change our generations they don't have to be handed down to the third and the fourth so we do this by understanding what's behind the difficult thoughts and feelings and even what's behind our feelings of confidence worth and success we've got all these things that are coming into play so today we're just talking about getting in tune with what's going on in our inner world what's happening by examining our feelings examining our dreams or even what went on in the time when we blew up with someone and we don't understand what was going on with me that's not like me so instead of blaming the circumstance or the, that other person taking a look at ourselves and what motivated us what's what was going on for me at that moment becoming more self-aware of what's driving us the, the good the bad and the ugly those messages those values those fears all those beliefs go into the package they form all this energy that's creating these motivations and it's a significant part of coming aware of that and allowing the holy spirit to transform it changing us from the inside out so it's cooperating with god and telling us the truth about who we are and what wholesome priorities really do look like he's fully ready to forgive and encourage us and he helps us to get a new script for our lives so we're on a journey with this series and the first two weeks have been uh leaving you at a place where the invitation is for you to explore to discover more about what's going on internally for you uh, you know next week and the week after we're going to talk a lot more about when we discover that what do we do with it we're going to actually get to some practical things but the reality is today is all about pressing into understanding our beliefs our values our fears our aspirations the the messages that we've received throughout life that form the energy behind our motivation and to allow god into those spaces to challenge to revise to rewrite to discard or to bring out things that we've stuffed that he really wants to be a part of our lives you know so i want i want you to spend some time now we're going to have kind of a we're going to go in towards move towards communion and we're going to have a song first before communion that I, that, that really talks about this whole idea of um, bringing the stuff that we put in the shadows of our life 
the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we hide out in the open before God and allow him to take a look at those things so that we can look at the things in our life that are gifts, that we were maybe created to be much more gregarious than we are, but because people laughed at us, we've stuffed that. Or uh, some of the messages we've heard, like, you know, first to work and last to leave, and that's destroying our family. And God wants to rewrite some of those motivations in our life. So just take some time as the song plays to think about what drives you. What does God want to speak to you about? Where's the tension in your life, and how can you press into that to understand why is there tension there? And what does God want to say to me about that? That's really what the last two weeks have been about, what the invitation today is, even in communion. When the shadows, when the darkness, when the chaos makes us feel like like is out of control, it's what we celebrate today that makes us have the strength and the ability to face that stuff. I mean, it's impossible, I think, without Christ to do what we asked you to do last week, which was to reframe negative, painful, hurtful feelings as friends to us because they just drive us away, because they point to our insufficiency. But Jesus came to be near to us in our darkness, and he came to forgive us so that we have absolutely no fear anymore to look at our junk, to look at the shadow places of our life, to look at the darkness of our life, to press into those feelings. We have no fear because we are completely, beautifully accepted by a God who doesn't stay distant, who's forgiving to thousands, forgiving to sin, forgiving to rebellion, and he just wants to be near to us, wants to be so near to us that he came in the flesh and he forgives us. And the only way we ever get to the point of transformation is to learn that change, we talk about it all the time, right? Change is from the inside out. Well, these last two messages that we've dealt with are really about that starting place. Unless we can press into the shadows of our life, press into the negative stuff instead of avoiding it, instead of running from it, unless we can understand the messages and the motivation behind those, we never give room for the Holy Spirit to actually come and change anything in our lives. So as you come and celebrate communion today, I want you to celebrate that fact that you have all the security, all the freedom in the world because of this, because of what we remember in the cross of Jesus and the death and resurrection, to press in, to not be afraid of the worst junk in your life and to allow him to come and transform you. So come and receive communion and worship God in that way. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.